Our conversations with investors point to growing anxiety over the economic and market path ahead. Today, we put all those concerns together for our fourth quarter investment outlook. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Terenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we share insights from the multi-asset solutions team at New York Life Investments. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of September 20th, 2021. Gee, it looks like you've been very busy while I was gone. Yes. Well, welcome back. We definitely missed you, but don't worry. I think we did okay, but we can only hold on for a week, not much longer without you. (laughs) That's very generous of you. I trust that you did a great job. Uh, But investors, on the other hand, seem to have turned up the stress level a bit while I was away. They really have, but you can understand why. The COVID-19 Delta variant has been slowing the recovery. Companies have been facing disruptions and supply chain bottlenecks. The Fed is preparing to taper its asset purchase program and tax increases loom. And if you add to that that asset prices have been boasting record levels, I think it's reasonable for investors to be wondering how the markets will hold up. I definitely understand the stress that some of our investors are feeling. But as is always true with investing, it's so important to take a step back and take a deep breath and look at the fundamental backdrop for the investments around us. And so far, I have to say, still looks fairly constructive for risk assets. That's right. Our view is that strong economic and corporate fundamentals mean that the recovery can be sustained and that risk assets could continue to move higher. That said, we are shifting into the mid-cycle phase of an economic recovery. And so as a result, when we look into the fourth quarter and beyond, we expect to see positive but more moderate gains in equities more volatility than we've experienced over the last year, and ongoing leadership rotation across asset classes and sectors. Three things. And I don't even think you were trying on that one. (laughs) All right. But as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of worries out there for the markets right now. Many of these things you've mentioned, like the Fed taper or potential tax increases, we've been talking about on the program for some time. But They still represent unknowns, and frankly, no one knows how they will evolve over time. They're very uncertain. So while we have a base case view that's fairly constructive for the markets, there are both upside and downside risks to our view. That's absolutely right. Both upside and downside risks to our view. So we did something fun in our most recent Q4 economic and market outlook, which is to develop scenarios for the path ahead. We give you our view, what we think might happen, but if you don't agree with that, you think some different alternative future might take place, then you can play a little choose your own adventure. And we share what we think might be the case for investments if your perspective is right. Yeah, it's a fun piece and you can find it on our website by going to newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the insights tab. There's three major factors driving the market forward right now. It's first of all, COVID-19 and its impact on the recovery. Second of all, monetary policy or what the Fed's response to the virus will be. And third, fiscal policy or legislation, government spending, particularly around infrastructure spending. 
Right. And these are three drivers that can't really be taken out separately. But what we did was we looked at, okay, well, what if you change one of those three factors? What if you change COVID-19 or the monetary policy outlook? you'll end up with a different economic or market scenario. Exactly. So I mentioned that we have a perspective or a base case scenario, and we'll share what we think will happen for each of those three drivers and then mix them up a little bit. On the first of those drivers, COVID-19, we believe that the pandemic will slow, but not necessarily derail the economic recovery. And that means consumer spending will continue to gradually shift from the overwhelming spending on goods that occurred during the pandemic and more towards discretionary services as we get out into the economy. Yes. And then in terms of government spending, the second driver, we expect here that legislation will continue to support economic growth, meaning that the government will continue to stimulate the economy, and it will also benefit some secular investment trends. There's the physical infrastructure package, which we've talked about a lot on the program, and that should pass at the bipartisan $1.2 trillion level, as well as some softer human infrastructure, but with a lower price tag than what's being shopped around currently in Washington. Tax increases also look likely to fund these plans, and they would be moderate, but not yet priced in. Exactly, exactly. And then on the third of those drivers, monetary policy or what the Fed will do, we expect that the Fed is going to do exactly what it's been communicating, which is begin tapering its asset purchase program later this year, but not hiking interest rates until at least a year from then. That's what we think is going to happen. But what if we're wrong? Our second scenario, what we call the hawkish surprise, in this case, COVID concerns recede faster than we expect. And then you can sprinkle in some higher spending from consumers and governments, and that could result in an overheating economy. The markets will react then to monetary tightening and potentially higher tax rates. One thing I want to point out about this scenario is that this overheating economy, you would think that more growth and more spending would be a good thing for markets. But you can see from what Robert is saying that more economic growth in this case might actually be challenging for the long-term trajectory of the economy and markets. So investors have to balance some of these scenarios as they evolve. Now, how could this scenario actually play out in real life? Well, a lot of reasons. If we see a better than expected COVID outcome, that could be because, for example, we see improvements in vaccination or highly effective treatment options or changes in the virus itself. And as a result, consumers could feel more confident spending in restaurants or traveling, and the Fed would be forced to pump the brakes if it saw the economy overheating like this. So again, some good news there, but that makes the environment potentially even more challenging to, to navigate. On the Opposite end of the good news spectrum, something a little bit more pessimistic for the scenario, is our third case for the economy, and that's one where growth disappoints. COVID becomes an endemic where variants continue to impact the economy in fits and starts. Inflation actually slows from the elevated levels we're seeing today, and the Fed can't tighten the policy like they wanted to or eventually want to. Government spending can't get through in a bipartisan way and is met by many roadblocks. And you can see then how we would end up in a scenario that looks more similar to the post-financial crisis area. Exactly. And post-financial crisis era, which I'm sure our listeners remember, meant reasonable but sluggish growth, lower for longer interest rates, less inflation, as you mentioned, Robert, and less wage growth as well. 
Exactly. But I think I'll mention that this scenario doesn't necessarily point to a recession or terrible market outcomes. But for the market to react, you don't necessarily need a recession. And investors can still be challenged by a low return environment. And in this case, you really only need growth to disappoint expectations. That's right. So then moving to our fourth and final scenario, this is potentially the most ominous scenario for investors, which is stagflation. For our listeners who might know that term, but not know exactly what it means, stagflation is a period characterized by slow economic growth, low employment, but rising inflation all at the same time. Yeah, the last time that we experienced stagflation in the United States was in the 1970s, and it was a pretty difficult and unpredictable time for the economy, for businesses, and then, of course, by extension, for investors. We believe that 1970s-style stagflation is nearly impossible amid the global low-rate environment that investors are experiencing today. That said, a form of stagflation light could emerge under the right conditions, or I guess you could call them the wrong conditions for investors? Probably the latter. Fortunately, we think that this is the least likely of our options. But as you're saying, Lauren, it is possible in some form. And it's I think it's an important perspective to share. I agree. Now, just for the sake of building it out, like we have with the other scenarios, here's how we think we could get there to a stagflationary scenario. The main driver here would be that COVID-related supply chain issues and labor imbalances result in costs rising so high that it actually chokes off economic growth. And then economic gridlock or congressional gridlock prevents fiscal spending from happening, whether on physical infrastructure programs or social infrastructure programs or really anything else. And that results in this sort of high inflation, low growth environment and creates a really challenging environment for the Fed because you have both sides of their mandate, employment and inflation moving in opposite directions. That's a difficult environment for investors to navigate to. Right. So to wrap up our four scenarios and reiterate our view, three main factors drive the economy and markets in the path forward. COVID, the pandemic, and the path that it moves forward on, monetary policy response, and fiscal policy's contribution then to growth or pull from growth via taxes. So change what you think about these factors, and it changes all the other things that matter for investors, like consumer spending or profit expectations and financial market outcomes. Well, if Robert says financial market outcomes, then it must be time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. Now, we've covered our four scenarios, and for those investors that find any of the scenarios particularly compelling, the piece itself that we mentioned has great information on what each scenario would mean for the investment environment. Yes, that's my favorite part. But let's take the time on the program to share our base case view and what that means for portfolio positioning. Go for it. Okay. If you expect that we are learning to live with the virus and that the economy can push through, muddle through with some support from fiscal and monetary policy, then the reopening trade that we've talked about so much on this program is still relevant for your investment portfolio. That said, and as we say all the time on the program, a rising tide will no longer raise all ships. That doesn't mean that investors should run for the hills, but it means that it's important to focus on identifying companies that are likely to experience continued upward growth in profit, higher earnings expectations. And for that, we actually favor global allocation. 
That means that we're overweight international developed equity, we're overweight value, and we're overweight small cap equities with a focus specifically on quality companies and companies that are leveraged to the reopening cycle. And then on the fixed income front, as the economy strengthens and Fed policy adapts, rates are likely to rise. And we believe investors might be complacent to this risk. That said, rather than moving into cash or trying to avoid risk altogether, we in our portfolios are utilizing short duration securities and prefer credit risk over duration risk to help mitigate that potential rise in interest rates. Now, keep in mind that interest rates moving higher doesn't necessarily mean that we expect high interest rates as would choke off economic growth. Investors may still need diversified sources of income in a balanced portfolio. So a focus on multi-sector fixed income and then also multi-asset income, including income generating equities in a portfolio can help to build that income and build portfolio resiliency while still leveraging some of these base case or reopening themes that we mentioned we like. And again, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but if you don't buy our base case perspective here, remember that we do share views on what else could happen and what that would mean for investments. Now, as we went through the process of assigning investment implications for each of these different scenarios, a few themes emerged consistently, themes that we think may be relevant regardless of what happens in the macro environment moving forward. These are longer term themes that we find compelling. The first is durability. What are the asset classes or strategies that investors can use whose cash flows or potential cash flows don't necessarily depend on macroeconomic themes? So we think a structural shift towards infrastructure investing and environmental, social, and governance or ESG-focused investing may apply in this category. The second area is in building portfolio flexibility. We mentioned multi-sector bond strategies and a global allocation in this portfolio pause. That's what we're talking about here when we, when we say flexibility, the ability to navigate this rapidly changing and, and really global economic circumstance we're in right now. And then the final theme was related to portfolio resiliency. And there, again, multi-asset income may be a way to generate cash flows in a portfolio and to focus on diversification without relying only on prices moving up to add value in a portfolio. Coming up next, it's Fed Week. Oh boy. Our expectation is that the Fed keeps moving steadily towards tapering its asset purchase program at the end of this year or early next year. You've heard about it already today. That doesn't mean tightening policy. It just means loosening it at a less robust pace. Now, markets are well prepared for this news, so we don't necessarily expect a major reaction to the Fed's meeting this week. But one notable exception is that the Fed's economic projections, which they release about once a quarter, now will add the year 2024 instead of just 2022 and 2023, as, as has been the case earlier this year. Who knows what will be happening in 2024, but the markets will certainly be looking for clues of what the Fed thinks during this meeting. 2024 sounds so far out. As you heard in this episode, what happens with the Fed policy is a key and foundational driver of our economic and market expectations and perspectives. We don't expect the Fed to change course, but if they do, you know where to look for the investment ideas. 
That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or maybe highlight your perspective on the scenarios forward just by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, which is newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the insights tab. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.